let me tell you the, the number one objective that a leader has is the journey. It's not the result, it's the journey. It's, it's um, having a transformative influence in the lives of those that he or she leads. Because if you have an influence on people, and if it truly have a transformative influence, you change their lives, you make them better people, you build trust. Because it's not about you, it's about them. And, and you're investing your time and your life into their life. And when you do that, guess what happens? You win anyway. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Cardavera. The leadership development ecosystem helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. This is episode 53, and I'm so excited. We have Walt Rakowicz with us, and the title of this episode is, quote, I have no earthly idea what to do, close quote, creating transformative influence through vulnerable leadership. Walt Rakowicz is a leadership speaker, and he's a former executive of a company called Prologis. It's a global real estate company that was near collapse when he took over as CEO in 2008. It was during the economic downturn, and the Prologis stock had dropped from over $70 a share to about $2 a share over 10 months. It was the third worst performing company in S&P 500. And Walt stepped in as CEO, and he turned it around. And what he's going to share today are the secrets to that turnaround, and not just a turnaround, but what it takes to lead an incredible team, to build a great culture, to, to build a resilient team and culture. And he's going to talk about just a couple of things. He's going to talk about transparency, and he's going to talk about vulnerability and leadership. Walt is an amazing leader, and he's here today to share with you what it takes to build great culture and great teams and to achieve great things even in the midst of crisis. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are back here for the Impact Leadership Podcast. And I'm thrilled because we've got Walt Rakovich with us today. And I'm thrilled because of what I know you're going to hear today, but I'm also thrilled to be able to see Walt today. I met Walt about five years ago. We've had quite a journey together, but I have not seen Walt probably for three or four years. I will give you a little insider tip. Walt is the person behind the title of my book, Arrows of Truth, which is a whole nother story. So we've not seen each other a lot, but I feel a very close connection with Walt. I have a great deal of respect for him as a leader. And today he's a leadership speaker. He's an author of a brand new book just coming out this month. We will certainly talk about that, Transfluence. And most recently, he was the CEO of a company called Prologis, a New York Stock Exchange company, a member of the S&P 500. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be talking about all things leadership today. 
And we're going to hear a lot about a different way, still a different way of leading. It's absolutely still a different way. And I know Craig and I want to see this way of leading be what's the new normal, but we're not there yet. And, and hopefully this will be another part of your journey. So welcome, Walt. Welcome. Great. Thank you, uh, Jeff, Craig. Great to be on. So Walt, give us a little bit of the story of your journey in leadership. Boy, well, um, Jeff, I, you know, I, first of all, just to set the record um, straight, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I am a, uh, I am a Steeler fan, notwithstanding the fact that I live in Denver, Colorado. <laughs> um, I am, okay, I'm leaving. I'm leaving now. I know, I know. Yeah, I was a Dallas fan, so, you know, the, them's fighting words. fighting words. <laughs> I'm not off to a rousing start, am I? Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm the grandson of uh, some European immigrants who came over uh, probably about a hundred years ago, and um, you know. But my leadership journey really is molded by so many things, um, but not not the least of which is my upbringing. And I and I really would be remiss if I didn't touch on that. You know, I I like to tell people that I hit the uh, parent lottery. I was I was very one of the very fortunate ones. I had. Um, great parents. I really did. And, you know, we didn't have much financial wealth. Um, in fact, we had no financial wealth whatsoever, but man, we had a, a wealth of love and support um, that was, it emanated throughout the, uh, out, throughout the family. My mother and dad were both incredibly hard workers. And, you know, just looking back on it, they, they really appreciated people for who they were. Mm. Um, not, not what they had, not what they had accomplished, but just simply who they were. And I really, you know, looking back on, on my life, I really think that that had a great impact um, on me. I, um, you know, being from Pittsburgh, um, I, I went to Penn State University. Um, of course, everybody back then went to their state college, you know, and, uh, <laughs> well, which, which, which was great. And I'm, I actually, I'm on the board of Penn State now, but that'll be, maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. I went to work for Price Waterhouse and I put, put the green eye shades on and I was an accountant for, for four years. And I, I'm sorry. Used to, I know I, I was sorry. <laughs> <about it too. laughs> and I, I put the green eye shades on and I, I did some tax work for a couple of years and audit work. And, and I decided that's really not what I wanted to do. And I was very fortunate enough to get into Harvard business school um, to get an MBA. And um, I remember the first day, being there, I looked looked around and I said, "You know what? I think I'm the dumbest person in this class. <laughs> How in the world did I get here?" And thank God, thank God, brilliance doesn't have 100% to do with leadership. But, <laughs> and, uh, right. but you know, I took my first job outside of HBS and uh, was with a company called Trammel Crow, mm -hmm. and I met my first leader that I that I just was just absolutely delighted to work with. I mean, he was fun. He, he cared a lot about his people. You know, he viewed us as his flock of sheep. And hmm. um, he, you know, the, the coolest thing about him is that he just wanted to make everybody better. Awesome. He wanted to make everybody the greatest people that they could be. And looking back on it, man, I tell you, I, I just look at that and I, I, I just learned a lot just from him, you know. And, and so there's, there was a number of stories and I won't go into them, but I would say the, the leadership journey that really made the biggest impact to me was um, what happened during the financial crisis in 2007, 2008, 
uh, at, at Prologis. And I had been with the company for about 15 years at that point in time. And um, I had risen through the ranks through uh, being a chief financial officer, regional director, chief financial officer, then the president of the company, number two position. And, and it was during that time I, I had worked for a CEO in the company that um, I, I really struggled with. And um, I, I truly believed that he was uh, running the company the wrong way. Um, and you know, he's, he was, he had very much had narcissistic tendencies. You know, he believed that everything that he uh, did was right. Um, believed that most things other people did, did were wrong. And, wow. um, and, and, and actually in some respects lied, uh, I wouldn't say twisted the truth, um, to so many of the people that either reported to him, the board and the like, and well, I saw this going on and I just didn't want to have anything, any part of it. Uh, I mean, it was really, really tough. And um, so I went to the board and I said, look, guys, I think it's time that I exit stage left here. I just uh, don't, I think, I think that the company is going to be in trouble down the road. I can't tell you how bad, but I, I just don't like, we, you know, and, and what begins to happen when you have a leader like that is people start working in silos. Mm. They stop communicating. They, they worry about the politics associated with saying the things that they right. need to say you know, should we make this acquisition? Shouldn't we make this acquisition? Well, the CEO wants to, I'm not going to say what I think. Mm. I mean, there, and there's a number of things that begin to happen, right? And, you know, and so I, I did leave um, in January of 2008. And that at that point in time, the, our equity market cap was over $20 billion. And we had a stock price of somewhere in the neighborhood of 72 or $73 a share. And, um, I left the company and um, I'm just, you know, of course, 2008 was a horrible time for everybody, right? I mean, if you look at the, the whole stock market was down probably 38 or 39, 40%, something like that, that year. But, you know, our stock um, over a 10 month period of time took a 96% dive from $72 a share to $2 a share. Oh okay? my gosh. And um, the board, um, in November of 2008, after I had been gone for about 10 months, called me up and said, look, um, we'd like you to come back and run the company. We're mm -hmm. going to um, part with the CEO and we need you to, you know, we need you to come back. Wow. And I tell you what, that was a, a first of all, my, my first reaction was no. <laughs> they said, well, you, 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 you really need to think a lot about this. <laughs> Talk to your wife, blah, blah, blah. And I got up the next day and I, you know, I, I had hired so many people in the company and it was just the right thing to do. I tell you what, I was scared to death. I was absolutely scared to death. Um, I think it's interesting though, that what you said was not, this is what I wanted to do. This is the other thing. Your immediate reaction is I hired these people. I want to take care of them. And I, wow, I, such respect for that. I appreciate you saying that Craig, and I'm going to be hundred percent honest with you though. I didn't know if I could. Hmm. I mean, I, I really, you know, you know you're, you're, the performance gets to that and Wall Street and your investors are telling you something. And that is that you're trading at option value. There was an article that came out in the Wall Street Journal the day um, that I took over that um, said that we were, you know, on the verge of bankruptcy. And, you know, I held, had helped build the company for 15 years prior to that. And wow. that was hard, you know. and and um, I knew it was going to take a Herculean effort. I, I just knew it would. And I, 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 
I thought I had the chops, but I, and I knew I had a great management team, but I, I just didn't know. And I really didn't have the answers, you know? So, you know, your heart palpitates, you know, you come to work, you're scared <laughs> to death. there's just no other way of saying it. I'm just being honest, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, our people had completely lost um, confidence in uh, the board and management. And, you know, we needed to change that. And the one thing that I learned is the importance of trust. You know, you, with trust as a leader, you have everything. Without trust, you have nothing, mm. absolutely nothing. And I, I thought, you know, the good news is that I had been around the company for, for the 15 years prior to that. And I thought I had built up a reasonable amount of trust with the employee base. Um, but, you know, we had, we had a long way to go as a management team and as a company, not just with our employees, but with our shareholders, um, with our board, you know, with um, many of the stakeholders in the company. And so we had to build trust um, in, in the organization. And, and I, I think that was the key. Well, it's, you, there's so much in that. And I, I want to go into this journey you had with Prologis. It's interesting because one of our guests just a couple of weeks ago, a guy named Kevin Basic, was talking about the idea that when, elite, when people don't feel safe mm. and everything you described are people that didn't feel safe there, they hoard everything. Yeah. They hoard ideas. They hoard trust. They hoard communication. They, 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 it's cover up. You said, talked about the silo. And it's kind of fascinating because your conclusion was this is about trust. And I see so often trust is not even on the radar of an issue in organizations. And every guest we have had, 100% have said, it's about trust. Yeah. Well, it is about trust. Um, now, you know, there's probably a lot of ways of, of, um, of getting there. And, you know, that, but I talk a lot in my book, um, Transfluence, um, about building trust. Um, and I, I, I truly believe that you know, there's a lot of paths to heaven, but from my perspective, at least, I think that um, it's really all about a leader focusing outside of themselves mm. and focusing on other people. In other Absolutely. words, putting the importance on other people. You know, um, I would assume you're going to ask me this question, so I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what Transfluence is about at some point in time. There you go. Sure. Yeah, bring it. And I love it because I love people who make up words. It's awesome. <laughs> it's so awesome. Well, believe it or not, okay, I'm going to give you that. Hey, believe it or not, there is a word called transfluence. And really? I'm going to tell you a little bit about this. Um, transfluence, actually, if you look it up in the dictionary, it will tell you that it, it, it's actually something that flows through, kind of like a water or a stream might flow past you, okay? <laughs> And I think in many respects, it's very similar to trans, um, um, transfluence that I talk about in the book, because it comes from the heart of a leader. It needs to flow through a heart of a leader. Hmm. Now, that's not how we came up with the word. <laughs> we came up with the word transfluence and found it in the dictionary after that, um, because we were talking a lot, my team and I were talking a lot about transformative influence. Hmm. We kept using this transformative influence. There's got to be a shorter word for transformance or transformative influence. And it was, it was just transfluence. And look, as a leader, and I found this when I first took over the company, 
you got a lot of responsibilities, right? And, and, and everybody has a result that they've got to accomplish. It might be growing earnings by 20%, okay? Whatever, you know, some result that you elevator speech is the what you're there or growing our stock price or doing this, you know, so, normally it's financial. For me, it was turn around the company, okay? <laughs> and do it Make quick. sure the company survives, right? I couldn't even put that into financial uh, terms back then, but turn around the company. And I get that. Look, we all have that objective. But let me tell you, the, the number one objective that a leader has is the journey. It's not the result. It's the journey. It's, it's um, having a transformative influence in the lives of those that he or she leads. Boom. That's it. There's, there's the nuclear bomb. Have a good day. Nuclear bomb. You got it? Because, <laughs> because if you have an influence on people, and if it truly have a transformative influence, you change their lives, you make them better people, you build trust. Because it's not about you, it's about them. And, and you're investing your time and your life into their lives. And when you do that, guess what happens? You win anyway. <laughs> I mean, you, you hit the numbers, you yes. hit your result. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I shouldn't say that in the short run, you never know. But in the long run, you yes. do. And it's because people love working for you. They yeah. love working in the organization. They, they'll actually take less money to work in your organization. Not that you should shortchange them. I don't believe you should, but they will. And you know they will make sacrifices for the organization that you don't even need to ask them to make because you're investing your time in their lives. So it sounds like you're, you're investing in the long game rather than the short game. And, and that's an interesting thing to hear you say because everything, I've not worked for a public company at a, at a high level. And so what you've said is that if you're really taking care of your people, you're going beyond the quarter. And everything I hear about leading a you know, public company is you're, you're focused on that quarter. So how, do you, how did you balance the two or was there any balance? Well, you're talking to a, a former chief financial officer who had to report <laughs> results every quarter. So right. I, I will, I, I, I'm not going to tell you that you have to, that you shouldn't care about your quarterly results. Right? Right. I mean, you know, you, you really have to, but I don't think that they're really in, Craig, I don't think they're in conflict with each Good. other. You know, I, I, totally I, agree. I really don't think they're in conflict with each other. I, I think you can, um, I, I, I think you can meet your quarterly results and have all the pressure that you've got of any public company, but still treat people with dignity. I, they're, yes. they're, they're just not one. They're, they're not mutually exclusive at all. Thank you for that message. <laughs> so yeah. Walt, Pay attention, uh, CEOs. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and, and that's my follow-up question. So, Walt, Craig and I are on board. I mean, you're speaking our language. You're singing to our choir. Yeah. We're jamming to the same music. But here's the question. Craig and I have been preaching the idea that this is about putting your people first right. yeah. and other, everything will follow. Why do leaders have such a hard time actually doing that? Because most leaders, far more than 50%, will say, they'll say people are first, but the reality is they're putting their objectives first and their people are second or lower. What's that, the, op, the biggest obstacle here? Yeah, I could tell you the two biggest obstacles. And I, write, <laughs> I write about them in my book and they're very simple. Fear and pride. Mm. And I'll, I'll be happy to tackle both of them. Yeah, uh, please do. So let's start with pride. Um, and 
And I, I saw this, uh, I, you know, I'm going to give you a quick example. Um, um, our CEO, um, when I was the number two person, was dying to do an acquisition of a European company, dying so much that he was willing to overpay for it and mm. involved none of us in the acquisition because he knew that we were all going to, you know, spit, chew it up and spit it out and tell him all the wrong, re- all the reasons why we shouldn't do it. So he negotiated the deal on, on his, it basically negotiated the deal in isolation. Mm. And, he, and he negotiated this deal to buy this company for about, it was in pounds, but let's just translate it to about $750 million US dollars. And, and then he called us all up in the management team. He said, hey, I just cut a deal with X, Y, and Z company. We're going to buy them for $750 million. And of course, at that point in time, everybody internally starts looking at the numbers and you know, chewing them up, spitting them out. And we, we said, we, we should not pay any more than $500 million for this. And, mm-hmm. and he said, well, I just want you to know that when you walk into the board meeting and we discuss this for approval at the board meeting, you will say, we will do it. Wow. Okay. And by the way, I was a former director. I was also a director with him. Both of us were directors in the company. And, um, and you know, he said, you know, that, that's what I want you to do. And but you have and fiduciary I, responsibility. Well, I, had, I have fiduciary responsibilities to our shareholders. I had fiduciary responsibility, in my, my view, to our board um, to tell the truth. And I mean, I, I really was struggling. And, I, and, and that's, a, that's a story that I actually told in my book, and I won't go through all the things as to how we solved it, but um, that's pride. Hmm. I mean, that's pride and that he has. And so, you know, I think about pride, you know, authentic pride, which is kind of taking pride in our work. That's fine. That's not, I mean, all pride isn't bad, mm-hmm. but when it gets to hubristic pride, you know, it gets to vanity, it gets to narcissism, it gets to egotism, you know, it gets to arrogance. You know, look at FIFA um, and what happened there. Look at Volkswagen and what happened there. Look at GM and what happened there. And that's all pride. That's all leadership pride, okay? And that destroys leaders. And so, and it might be pride in telling your investors you're going to hit numbers and, 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 you, and you might not hit numbers. And all of a sudden, you know, you begin to act internally in ways that you shouldn't act. Um, make acquisitions you shouldn't make. You cover up things that shouldn't be covered up. So, you know, the second thing is fears. I'll tell you, I, one of the most interesting things, articles I've ever read was about five years ago. There's an article that came out in Harvard Business Review. Okay. And it was, um, um, they had interviewed 116, I think, CEOs and C-suite executives. They said, what are your top fears? And you know, you might think that these executives would say, well, I fear not making the numbers or like I fear my people aren't going to, you know, my best people are gonna leave or I fear the competition. No, you know what the number one fear was? Incompetence, they were, that they would be viewed by their colleagues Absolutely. as being incompetent. Yep. Number two fear, vulnerability. <laughs> oh, I can't be vulnerable. And, you know, I need to be right, you know, and, you know, and, and, and so all of these things, you know, what, you know, what does it lead, lead to? It leads to dictatorial leadership. It leads to leaders that don't listen. It leads to, 
a lack of discipline in the case of my former CEO, CEO who wanted to go out and make a $750 million acquisition when, when um, he wanted to make the deal. But, you know, and so that's lack of di discipline. It sometimes leads to lack of delegation because you want to prove to yourself that you're, you're the man. You know what I mean? And so yeah. this, whole, this whole notion of fear and pride are really, really dangerous in the workplace. And, I, and, I, and so, and by the way, both of those things are all about the leader. Mm. They're not about turning that outside, inside out, and focused on the people that they lead. It's all about the leader. Mm. And so the more leaders focus on themselves, their objectives, you know, it becomes a prideful thing. It may be a fearful thing. I'm afraid of the board, whatever it might be. I mean, I saw this in Technicolor. It happens. <laughs> and I think that those are the two biggest stumbling blocks. Now, I'm going to just say one more thing, and I'll shut up on this thing. I, I, <laughs> Please don't. I think the antidote to fear is faith. Mm, so I, good, I, yes. I really, I, you know, faith and fear, I think it was John Gordon or somebody like this said that they, they both have one thing in common. And that is that they both focus on the future. Yeah. You know, fear looks at the future as a negative future. Faith looks at the future in positive terms. Mm, so good. And so the antidote to it is, is faith. And sometimes it's positivity. Um, in my case, it's faith in a higher being. Mm -hmm. And I'm not on your show to tell everybody that they need to be that way because everybody's got to make their choice in that regard. But I, I have to tell you, when you begin to have faith in something bigger, that it's not about you, mm. it's really about something bigger, you can defeat pride and fear. It's so freeing too. It's so, it's liberating. And by the way, that doesn't mean that I don't get up every morning and have to fight the battle. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not like you don't, you know, you fight the battle once, it's like, oh, I'm liberated. I never have to worry about that again. Right. No, that's not true. We fight it every day. It's human nature. Yeah. But it, if we're cognizant about it, if we know about that pride and fear, if we're aware of it, and we, and we take measures to figure out how we get around it, man, that's when you can be powerful as a leader. Mm, that's I, so good. And it also cuts out the loneliness, you know, because oftentimes, you know, especially being, being at the top of the organization, you, you probably, and I would love to hear your perspective on this, you probably felt very isolated from being able to share all the things with, with people around you. And yet, you know, the faith is one of those things that you know that you're not in it alone. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartevera. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartevera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartevera.com. Welcome back. You know, um, Craig, you're absolutely right. It is the most isolated position that I've ever been in. Mm. Um, you know, recently um, I, I was uh, talking to someone who asked me the question about, you know, how do you, how do you get, how did you, how did you deal with that isolation as a CEO? And, um, you know, some people 
go and, you know, run 10 miles. Some people <laughs> take walks around lakes and, you know, and, and look at the nature and, and appreciate it. For me, it was getting, I, I'm an early morning riser. Mm-hmm. I get up at 4.30 to 5 o'clock pretty much every morning. And I, when I was running a company, I, I you know, would, would do it all the time. And I, I'd, I'd spend half an hour, sometimes an hour, just in quiet time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. um, you know, in my case, I was talking to a higher being. But um, it might be that, you know, I, I, others of your listeners might just feel comfortable meditating and just thinking about things. But I'm going to tell you, you have to have time to clear your head. In my, t- my case, it's a conversational time to clear my head. Um, and if you don't, it, it will be cluttered all day. And um, mm. you know, from my perspective, it's best done in the morning, really early before everybody wakes up and it's still dark outside. Totally agree with you. That's, that's my routine as well. Well, I want to go back to what you shared about those two simple things. And I think like so many things, they are simple. You know, most of the feedback we've heard here and things that Craig and I share are simple. Doesn't mean they're always easy. And what I found, my, the word I heard in there that I'm most drawn to is vulnerability. Because you talked about the fear of vulnerability, and yet I see that being vulnerable, if I am vulnerable, I'm not going to get into that pride zone because they, they can't coexist. My, my arrogance cannot exist with my vulnerability. And if I'm afraid of vulnerability, but if I am willing to be vulnerable, that helps me get through that. And I would say in some ways, me being vulnerable is an act of faith in action because I'm trusting that it's going to be okay, that I'll be okay. I'm willing to take the risk. And, you know, I see so and I see this, so many leaders are terrified of being vulnerable. Mm. And yet all the feedback is that's exactly what's needed. (laughs) It's like this collision course of problem solution. But there's so much fear of it. And and I also think misunderstanding of what it means to be vulnerable. Mm. Yeah. So, Jeff, um, I I do write about this in my book and I'm going to but I'm going to bring out a story that. I think was really impactful to me, if you don't mind, um, that that relates to vulnerability. And um, because I'll tell you, that is one of the most difficult things for a leader. First of all, you're hired. And in my case, you're hired as the CEO. You're supposed to have all the answers, right? And and so, um, and oftentimes you don't. And so there's there's something that happened to me that really was impactful. And let me set the stage. I was... um, I had come back November, 2008. So this would have been December, one month on the job. And, um, you know, our stock price had uh, gone from $2 a share up to three or $4 a share, but you know, we're still hurting. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Double the value. Yeah. There's hope. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, but things were not looking great behind the scenes and, you know, investors, the reason why your stock price goes down that way is because, people know that you're on the ropes and you know, you, you just don't get out of being on the ropes quickly. Um, so we were in a meeting um, and, and literally it was one o'clock, about one o'clock in the morning because we were working dog ears. I mean, mm-hmm. absolute dog ears, you know, we're going to bed at two o'clock. We're getting back up at four or five <laughs> working in the morning. I mean, it was crazy. So anyway, we were in a meeting. There were all finance people, um, my CFO, my treasurer, a number of other people, and um, somebody, and I can't remember to this day who said, well, Walt, I just want you to know that we're really close to blowing our bond covenants 
Um, and I'm, I was like, well, how, how many, how, how much bonds we're talking about? He goes, well, six, $7 billion in bonds. We're going to blow the covenants. And I said, when? And he said, by the first quarter, by January. And so, and I said, well, okay, so what's the solution? And he said, well, there is no other solution. Well, we got to go bankrupt. We got to de declare bankruptcy. So our creditors, you know, are kind of held at bay. Well, now keep in mind, I'd been there for 15 years prior to that. I, even though I had left for 10 months, I came back and, I, and I'm the CEO supposed to have all the answers. And, and my face just turns and I could feel it. I literally could feel my face get cold, white. And I looked around the room and I said, do you guys mind if I just walk out of the room and take a quick short break? And, um, and people are in the room, so no, that's fine. Do, do what you need to do. So <laughs> anyway, I walked down the hallway and I'm starting to faint. Mm. I see this chair in front of me and I beeline to the chair trying to get there before I faint and I don't get there in time. And, and so then I fall and I hit the corner of the, the guy's desk. Mm. One of the executives on the team, I hit his, the corner of his desk, split my head open. I'm laying there for about what turns out to be, you know, I find out later about 10 minutes. And then I wake up and for about 30 seconds, I have no idea where I am. I mean, I absolutely have no idea. And then I see this pool of blood next to me. I realize I'm in the office. And then I realize, oh my gosh, these people are still in the room waiting for me to come back. <laughs> so I, I go to the bathroom. I, you know, I quickly, you know, kind of suture up my head with water, you know, get it to stop. And I, you know, huge lump on my head. I walk in the meeting. And I go, oh, all right, let's talk about this bankruptcy thing. And my CFO goes, no, let's talk about that egg on your head. Like, How the heck did you get that? And I looked around. Guys, I had, I had nothing to say. Like, wow. I, I didn't know what to say. And I looked around and I said, you know, guys, when you, when you talked about the word bankruptcy, I fainted. I fell out mm. there. I hit the desk of X, Y, and Z, Z person, Chuck's, Chuck's desk. And um, I got to tell you, I was hired to be the CEO of the company and have all the, all the answers. I got no answers. Mm. None. I said, I have no earthly idea what to do. And you know what was really interesting? The power of vulnerability is incredibly, it's incredibly powerful. Mm. I'm not saying leaders should always be vulnerable. You can't. If you, if you are vulnerable all the time, then people begin to question whether or not you should be in the position. <laughs> right. You have to make some decisions. You have to show yeah. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But every once in a while, it's actually quite powerful. Mm. Um, in that case, it was really interesting. I looked around the room. I had no answers. So I was looking around. I was like, who does have the answer here? Right. All of a sudden, somebody pipes up and said, you know what, Walt, we're with you. We get it, man. We're in this together. This isn't about, you know, you or the, you know, you having all the answers. We, we got all the answers. We just have to work together to do it. And I, and I realized I'm like, yeah, as a CEO, your job is to empower and lift up and encourage, right? And motivate. But your job isn't always to have all the answers. And that's the problem is too many CEOs or too many leaders think that that's their job. Actually, it's not their job. Your job is to 
gather the flock. The flock has all the answers. They're closer to it than you are in most cases. Wow. They really are. And you know what's really interesting? They went back and the team came up with the solution. I mean, we had to raise, we knew we had to raise $2 billion quickly because we could use $2 billion to renegotiate our covenants, our, you know, our bank covenants, our bond covenants, and we had to pay down debt in order to do it. You gotta, you gotta show them something, right? And the solution was that we ultimately sold our China business. That didn't come from me. Mm. That came from my team. And um, they were not for my team. We, you know, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> but in wow. that case, it took a stroke of vulnerability to get there. Does that make sense? It does. It's really interesting because it kind of, I had a flashback to something my dad said a long time ago. My dad was a mechanical engineer, worked for IBM for 26 years, did some interesting things, brilliant man. And I said, wow, you know, I guess you go to, go to engineering school to, so that you, you learn how to do everything. He said, well, you know, really it's, it's interesting. You don't have to know everything. You just have to know where to find the answers. Uh -huh. Absolutely. And especially in today's market where it's at right at your fingers, fingertips. Yeah. You know? Oh, I don't really know this. Oh, just Google it, you know? Right. So wow. I, I, I think that's absolutely right. And, and, and too often we put way too much pressure on ourselves to know all the answers, especially leaders. And you really need to realize that that's not what leadership's about. And yeah. it's really not. So. I, I am so glad you shared that story, Walt. And with yeah. the context for this reason. I believe that vulnerability can be done in little ways. And, and one of those ways is saying, acknowledging I don't have all the answers mm -hmm. and being willing to ask questions. And those are little things that can be scary. But what I loved about your story is you were vulnerable in an epic moment for that company. Mm -hmm. This was not the daily meeting. This was not a check-in on a small issue. Yeah. This was perhaps the entire uh, survivability of the business is the issue. And that's when you were willing to be vulnerable. And I bring that up because to listeners, I have a lot of leaders who say to me, well, there are times I'm vulnerable, but I absolutely can't be vulnerable in the most difficult times. <laughs> like right now during COVID, I have heard it over and over. Nope, this is where I got to show up. I have to have all the answers because mm. otherwise people are going to fall apart. And I, I tell them, I think you're missing it. This is the moment yeah. of vulnerability because their story is that people trust people who have it together and they trust people who have all the answers and they trust people who never come across as so-called weak. And I think it's just, it's like literally 180 degrees the opposite way. I do too. Um, and, and, you know, I think during this time of uh, COVID, I, I, you know, I compare and contrast this in many ways to um, what we went through in 2008, but in, in some respects, I think it's worse. And because, and the reason I say that is because companies are not just having financial difficulties, but they're having social difficulties. Um, their people are having social difficulties. For the first time, really their work and their home life are melded together. And they are, you know, you're on Zoom calls and you're hearing dogs barking and you're hearing Babies crying in the background, and you realize, man, these people are living with their personal lives as well as their business lives, right? So when you think about being a leader, um, if you aren't em empathetic during that time, um, something's wrong. And yeah. and and part of empathy 
is not having answers and, you know, not like, you know, let me, let me tell you where we're going to go. It's, it's listening mm. and listening and processing takes some form of vulnerability. I think, you know, um, that, that, that perhaps they have something more to say than you. And I, I think, in some, <laughs> I, I think in many respects, leaders should not expect their flock to come to them and tell them all of their difficulties right now. I don't think that's happening. I think um, they need to be the people that are processing or that, that are opening up other people to talk about the things that they're, you know, concerned about. So, you know, in this environment, empathy and flexibility matter. Um, not necessarily carrying the flag over the goal line and saying, follow me. I, I, I don't think that that's what we need today. Um, now, but by the way, I, look, we got through this. We led four years and we turned the company around, okay? And you don't do that by not leading. I'm not right. saying that leaders shouldn't lead. Yeah. Um, I am saying that leaders should lead with more empathy today. Leaders should listen more um, before they react and, and, and carry that flag. And if they do, they'll make the right decision, but they don't need to have the answers, man. They should be listening more than they should be anything else right now. Wow. Yeah, we had a, we had a guest probably a month ago, maybe a little less, and he had never said this before. It was pretty, I thought it was fascinating. During our interview, he said this phrase, to lead is to be human. Yeah. And I said, have you ever said that before? He said, no, I don't know if I've even thought it, but he said, it's, that's the absolute truth. And to me, if I'm going to be human, it means I'm imperfect, but it also means empathy. Humans are empath, empathetic to others. Yeah. Uh, humans are caring and compassionate. Humans tell the truth. Humans listen. So there's so much of just be a better human that people go, well, that, no, that's not leadership. What is this? That's, all, that's soft stuff. <laughs> I, I love that you're talking about it. And thanks for finishing the story. I know there's more, but saying, yeah, you turn the company around. That's, people yeah. are probably going, hey, did this actually work? Right. Well, no, we bankrupted in January, but it was a good month. We had a good meeting and my head healed. And... <laughs> right, exactly. No, it didn't, it didn't work, but I, I assume that your, your listeners assume that it did work. Otherwise, well, it would never be on the show. <laughs> well, that, well, you know, we got to fail too. Actually, I would, I would say I, we would have had you on the show either way because of your perspective on leadership, regardless of what the outcome was. Yeah. The fact that you had a great outcome just kind of proves our point of, yeah. you know, this kind of leadership works. So a couple of wrap up things. Walt, your book just came out. Tell, let people know where can they get it? Is it actually available yet? I know it's I see it month. on Amazon right now. Yeah, it's, it's not available. Technically, you can pre-order it. Um, oh, okay. You can, you know, obviously you can get it any, any major retailer. Amazon um, has it on pre-order right now. Um, probably Barnes and Noble down the road. Um, so you can get it in digital hard copy. Um, also, how to get a hold of me would be my website is waltrakowicz.com. And I will spell that for you. Um, W-A-L-T-R-A-K-O-W-I-C-H.com. Uh, um, I'm on Twitter at, at Walt Rakowicz. Walt Rakowicz, that is, and LinkedIn, Walter Rakowicz, put the ER at the end of, of uh, Walt. So anyway, yeah, it's just a, been a delight to be on here. I, I can't tell you how excited I am to do this with you guys. And, and I'm totally on board with the way you think about leadership as well. So, oh, so fantastic. We'll put all yeah. that in the show notes, Walt. Uh, as you know, ahead of time, we always wrap up with a couple questions. And one sure. of the questions for you, Walt, is... 
There's so many ideas. You've shared a lot. But what's that one chunk of wisdom, the, the big, bold, shining light that comes out for you about leadership? Yeah, I would say this, Jeff. You know, too often, I think we, we define success the wrong way. You know, um, we watch sports and we ask who won. <laughs> we call stocks, I, I like to say, we call stocks winners and losers. You know, winners are the ones that perform well, right? Um, I'd like to turn that around a little bit. I, I think it is, it is about, you know, the, 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 the result. Don't get me wrong. But it also, and more importantly, I think it's about the journey mm. um, in getting there. And too often, we as leaders are fixed on the result. Um, sometimes that leads to the pride and the fear we talked about. But if we're so affixed on the result and we're not affixed on the journey to get there, hmm. I think we miss the most important thing about leadership. And, and that is the influence that we have on the lives of others. And I think if we spend more time outside of our own box, looking out, you know, looking at the people that we manage and saying, how can we make them better? How can we change their lives? If we do that, we'll get to that journey. I mean, excuse me, we'll get to that result. Right. But, but don't forget about the journey. That's what I would leave, leave your uh, listeners with. Uh, so good. It is about the long, long game. It yep. is so good. And that, that popped into my head as you said that, Walt. I don't know if Craig knows this story. Every year, the last eight years, this year is now at risk because of COVID. I do a trip with my dad mm -hmm. um, and we spend anywhere from three to eight days together. And it's been amazing. And uh, two years ago, we were out West and we were driving across Montana during an incredible storm. As you know, you get Montana and we got done and the sun came out and my dad is now 83. So he's 81 at the time. And he's not. He's a deep man of faith, but he's not exactly what you would call the guy that's going to have the sort of the spiritual conversation. He said, you know, Jeff, our trips, I love the places we go. I learn so much. It's really fun to be there and hear the stories. But I think what's even better than all of that is what matters most is the journey to get there. Yeah. And I said, Dad, did you just say it's not about the destination, it's the journey? He said, yeah, why? Because he'd never heard that before. And I said, well, you just dropped some wisdom, Dad. That's, awesome. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So, so one other question to, to wrap it up, and I love this one because it's about models. Yeah. So who is a leadership role model for you, and, and what's the, the big learning that you took from that person? So um, people ask me that all the time, and I, I, I can tell you that there are two of them, two leaders. Um, it may surprise you. I don't know. One of them, uh, well, and I'll tell you, uh, let me lead into this a little bit and just say that, um, I think leadership and I haven't really covered this today, but I think leadership is about trial and error. For me, it was about making mistakes, learning from those mistakes, and then becoming better and better over time. Um, and these two leaders made mistakes and, and accomplished great things. The first one is Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela was a radical, um, complete radical, and uh, paid the price for it, 27 years in jail. Mm. When he got out of jail, though, he all of a sudden became different. It wasn't all about his agenda. It was about reconciliation. Mm. 
It was about humility. And in, in some respects, the, uh, the blacks um, in South Africa who were friends with him when he was radical actually defriended him because he actually put out the olive branch to the other side. He went to rugby matches, which were all white teams, and, and showed the other side that they were important to him and became president of South Africa. And when he did, he was about reconciliation and humility. And you know what? Almost completely wiped out, really completely wiped out apartheid mm. in South Africa. Changed the face of how uh, South Africa is today. Another one is William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was a member of the British Parliament in the late 1700s. And William Wil Wilberforce, in, in his early years, was a carouser. He was a drinker and a smoker and a ladies' man and, you know, a, a, a guy that um, really was out for himself. He was thought to be disorganized. And even though he was a member of British, British Parliament, um, you know, he, 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 lived, he lived an individual life. And he had a, a spiritual revelation in his life. And he came to know God and he became a humanitarian. Hmm. And it took him 40 years, but he completely abolished the slave trade hmm. in the UK, which was 80% of their revenues, their foreign revenues at the time came through wow. the slave trade. Wow. And you look at the impact that these two guys made through humility, hmm. through reconciliation, through um, humanitarianism, through putting others before themselves, um, by putting their agenda aside to a certain degree um, and, and focusing on what was right in the world. I mean, these are leaders that were phenomenal um, in terms of what they, uh, you know, the impact that they made on the world. And, and so that's, th th these are role models to me. This is, this is how I like to think about living my life. Well, thank you for that, Walt. I, I have someone new to study. I know Mandela well. In fact, he's on my website as one of my role models. But Wilberforce, I did not know the story. That's going on the reading list. Super, guys. Thanks so much. Um, appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. So good to thanks, talk Walt. with you. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain -brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. 
If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.